Hey everyone and welcome back to this week's episode of Last Second Covers. I'm Chaz here with our special guest Thork while Stula is out, but we're going to hold down this fort before the Memorial Day weekend. On today's podcast, we've got a bit of New York baseball to discuss, plus the NBA Finals are almost here and we'll figure out just exactly what that matchup is once the Eastern Conference Finals wraps up. And finally, we've got our bottom of the barrel for this week, so stick around and you'll find out just exactly what we think is the worst of the worst. So get ready, we'll discuss all this and more on this week's episode of Last Second Covers. So, for those of you who have already tuned in before, you know that Last Second Covers always starts with the last second cover of the week. This one, I'll say, has a little bit of bias on myself, considering I was making the schedule, but I think it's definitely worth noting. The New York Mets, their crazy comebacks over the last three games that they've played. Uh, For anyone who hasn't really tuned into the MLB, what's been going on with the Mets is kind of depressing. Uh, As a Mets fan, you see them get swept by the Miami Marlins, a team that hasn't swept any Major League Baseball team since August of 2017. Not August of 2018, 2017. So that's pretty fucking embarrassing. But nevertheless, the Mets came out even after people said that Mickey Callier was going to lose his job, that so-and-so was going to get fired, everything like that. They go and have a form-game homestead against the Washington Nationals. Game one, they win. Game two, the Nationals going up in the eighth inning, 5-4. to four, And in the bottom of the eighth, Pete Alonso of the Mets' first baseman hits an absolute rocket, a moonshot, over the left field pole, but ties the game up 5-5, five to five, and then you go to the bottom of the ninth, and on a one-hopper from Amen Rosario, he beats out the throw by Trey Turner with runners on second and third to get the winning run across, and the Mets win 6-5. That was the first of three straight last-second covers by the New York Mets. The second was in Max Scherzer versus Jacob deGrom, part four. Both teams really weren't scoring in this game. The Nationals were up one nothing in the bottom of the eighth, and... When the Nats bullpen gets called on, they seem to be exceptionally terrible this year, and it struck them again. Juan Lagares in the Mets with two outs and two strikes hit a bases-clearing three-run double to put the Mets up 3-1, to one. and then Rajai Davis, who I don't know, Thork, if you knew this, but he was playing in the minors for the Mets all, all year, and they called him up that day. He took an Uber to City Field, <laughs> literally before the game, walks in around the third inning, can't find the dugout, doesn't even have his clothes on, his very first at bat is a pinch hit three run home run to put the Mets up six to one. Hey, you know, sometimes the Uber gets it done. Sometimes the Uber gets it done. Good for him. Yeah, and so the Mets end up winning that one six to one. And then the final game of that that four game stretch was Steven Strasburg, who arguably is the Nationals' best best pitcher this year, surprisingly, with Max Scherzer, against Steven Matz of the Mets. And the Mets, this one was the most back and forth, but the most encouraging of a last-second cover for New York sports fans. The Mets are up 3-1 to one in the 6th, but in the 8th, Gerardo Parra of the Nationals hits a 2-run double and a 3-run inning that put the Nationals up 4-3. to three. But then with two outs again in the bottom of the 8th, new Met, or I should say back again Met, because it used to be on the Mets, Carlos Gomez hit a 3-run shot to put the Mets up 6-4. to four. And again, for the third straight day, the Mets score runs in the the last two innings. 
to end up winning these games. So the Mets four games sweep the Washington Nationals and get a little bit of life back. But that's one side of New York baseball right now. On the other side in the Bronx, as begrudgingly as I have to say it, uh, the Bronx Bombers looking pretty good. That's right. The Yankees, 32-17 and 17 so far this year. And uh, to be honest, uh, it's really hard to believe with the amount of players that are banged up right now. I mean, you got, you know, Giancarlo Stanton's out, Judge's out. But and, and and Miguel and Duhar just got out for the year. But guys like Gio Urshela stepping up in three thirty three right now. DJ Lemayhew, uh, he's third in the league right now in batting average. Get Gary Sanchez really stepping it up, second in uh, AL in home runs. And then you got the biggest song song hero in my opinion, Domingo Herman, who might have not even made the rotation uh, coming into the year. Might not not even been project projected to, but is now leading the entire American League in wins with nine and is uh, third in earned run average with uh, 2.60 ERA. So uh, shout out to those guys stepping up, really uh, bringing it home for the Bronx Bombers this year. Uh, really looking forward to next week. I'll be at the Yankees-Red Sox game on Thursday. So let's hope they can pull out another dub and uh, make me 3-0 at Yankees games this year. So Oh, you already got two wins? I got two wins already. And you got to be going to more. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, the Domingo Herman thing is really surprising to me in a good way. I think wins for a pitcher is a very overrated stat, but the ERA is something that doesn't really lie. Um, because wins, Jacob deGrom had a, a sub-2 ERA last year and finished with a significant amount of fewer wins than Max Scherzer, um, but ended up winning the Cy Young. So wins are more, in my, in my opinion, and I think a lot of baseball uh, analysts and fans would agree, that wins are more a, a product of the team. Because if you have a high-scoring team, you can still pitch like shit and get a win. Yeah. But if you have a horrible team like the Mets are every year, you could have Cy Young Award years and not get a win. But a 2-6 ERA is mad impressive. Agreed. And just to go off your point there, um, Herman with nine wins in the team, the next highest is until uh, Jonathan Holder, uh, who's tied with at least six other pitchers for three wins. So not only Holder, but Savavia, Hop. Paxton, Tanaka, and uh, it, yeah, and just Tanaka, they all have three wins, where the rest are all spread out with two and one. So the thing is, like Chaz mentioned, wins, they only tell part of the story, but the earned run, run average really separates the best from the worst out there. So Yeah, well, it's especially tough, too, in the American League where you have the designated hitter because, at least in the National League, and one of the things that frustrates me is that when you have a, a terrible hitting pitcher, if you're in a, in a log jam as an opposing pitcher, you will just intentionally walk the seventh or eighth guy so that you can get to that nine hole with the pitcher, um, and they just strike out immediately. Now, granted, you have some really strong hitting pitchers like Madison Bumgarner, <laughs> Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Steven Matz. These guys can legitimately crank the baseball. Yeah. Um, but then that's only a, a small sample size of the many other pitchers in the National League who can't swing a bat to save their life. Um, but in the American League, you don't have that because you have a cycle of hitters all the time. So it's a testament to how well you can put away hitters in the American League because typically your ERA gets inflated by about a run if you move from the NL to the AL. Yep. Uh, and even still having a, a, a sub-3 ERA in the American League is pretty phenomenal, especially p pitching at Yankee Stadium where the right field is very in. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I just remember a few weeks ago, um, I was at the Yankees-Red Sox game, and Brett Gardner had to go ahead grand slam to put the Yankees ahead, and uh, that ended up having the Yankees win the game. So that right field wall is very close. So 
but I'd say the most consistent thing, most uh, expected uh, thing about the Yankees going into the year has been their bullpen. I mean, you got guys like Adam Odovino. He's got a 1.54 ERA right now. Tommy Canley um, at what a 1.80, and then Chapman <clears throat> stepping it up as well. 13 saves, second in the league in saves. So the bullpen's really been stepping it up this year, and that's one thing that was projected going into the year for the Yankees. Yeah, and, and on the flip side of that, <coughs> on the other side of, of New York and Queens, the Mets, the bullpen last year was notoriously bad. This year they revamped it by bringing in Edwin Diaz from the Mariners. They brought uh, Jerry's Familia back after trading him to the Athletics. Robert Gesellman and Seth Lugo both found their roles a little bit. Tyler Bachelor is pitching pretty well. Um, so guys are starting to find their groove. The issue with the Mets is they can't make it to the bullpen because if they're trailing the entire game, then the, there's no use in having a, a strong bullpen because you're already out of it. But in in this series, it actually played to their advantage to have the better bullpen because the Nationals have the worst <laughs> bullpen in all of baseball with nearly a 7 ERA as a team. You can't be having that. That's pretty awful. I mean, that's, in these last second covers, yeah. the bullpen blew every game. <laughs> Max Scherzer pitched a gem. Steven yeah. Strasburg pitched a gem. It didn't matter. In the end, the bullpen gave the Mets the lead every single time. And that's not... Uh, a non-recurring theme for the Nationals because mm. this is a team that, aside from losing Bryce Harper, really didn't make much of a difference in their roster from this year to last. And now they're 19-31 and 31 versus being a playoff contender. And most baseball analysts picked them or the Phillies to win the NL East outright. And it looks like the Nats are almost out of it before we get out of the end of May. So that bullpen has been a true vex for Washington. Yeah, it's really abysmal what's going on in Washington. But, you know, let's hope the Yankees can continue on in the American League East. And uh, I'm just looking forward to when uh, Judge and Stan, those guys come back because who knows what can happen. Uh, who knows the streak they can continue to go on. They're 10-1 and in their last 11 games. So I'm really looking forward to that. And D.D. Gregorius is starting to get some uh, action down in the minor leagues. So, I'm really uh, looking forward to that as well. They recently signed uh, Kendris Morales, who is a Ooh, that's a that's a vet yeah, name. He was an OG threat, as I'd like to call <laughs> it. But uh, who knows what he can bring to the table? So looking yeah. forward to seeing seeing some uh, New York baseball. It'll be interesting too, Bronx. because you know when Judge and Stanton come into the lineup, Judge I think is a phenomenal baseball player. Stanton um, I think is also great. He's a strikeout machine, but when yep. he makes contact, he hits it far. Um, but two guys are going to have to go out of the lineup for them to get back in. I'm curious to see what that'll be like, but I think it's worth noting and not to take away from what the Yankees have done because they are sitting on, on top of the ALEs for a reason because mm-hmm. they dominated in the games that they play. Um, but once we get out of May, the schedule for the Yankees might become a little bit stronger. You know, right now they have a 20 and five record so far this season against the Royals, the Orioles, the Angels, the Giants, and the Mariners who have a combined winning percentage of 402. Uh, so these are all pretty abysmal teams. And then against the rest of the league, they're 13-12, and 12, which is still a winning record. Um, but it'll be interesting to see what happens when they face you know, the June opponents, the July opponents, especially in an AL, an AL East race that's starting to heat up a little bit with the Rays <laughs> still standing strong, the Red Sox getting better each day. Uh, it'll be interesting. I think it'll be a fun summer to watch coming down the stretch for the AL East. Yeah, I think so too. I mean... Those for those like you mentioned, like it only gets tougher as the year goes on, especially with pitchers. They start to get worn out. So you know, I'll be looking forward to see how they can continue to play. Hopefully, well, but we'll see. Time will tell. 
Yeah, and for the Mets, I hope that they play uh, not the Marlins much longer because a team that's the worst in baseball, they should be able to beat up on, and they got three games swept. I need to reiterate this again. They got three games swept by the Miami Marlins, who are the biggest laughingstock of a franchise in all of baseball. They hadn't swept a team since August of 2017. <laughs> I know I keep saying that, but it's it's astounding to me. 2017, they haven't swept a team, and they three games swept the Mets in a time that the Mets needed to step it up the most. Um, and that caused Mickey Calloway's job to be in question. Robbie Cano was caught. Uh, he was pretty beaten up by the media for not hustling out his ground balls. It's pretty crazy because Robbie Cano is a player who's notorious for not really hustling out ground balls. That's been his play style ever since he came into the league with the Yankees. You know, it happened again in Miami. It was a, it was a double play ball with one out, and he alleged that the scoreboard said two outs, but video replay shows it did not say two outs. He just decided not to run out the ball, and the Mets get an in the end and double play. Mickey Calloway had to defend him in the media and say it won't happen again. Uh, it was a scoreboard issue. And Robinson Cano backs that up. He says, I respect Mickey Calloway. I won't let it happen again. I kid you not, the very next game, the exact same shit happened. Where it was a double play ball, one out, and he just jogged to first base. So I don't know how much of a, a kick to your manager's ass you could give, as a, or like a middle finger, like a big old fuck you. Uh-huh. Uh, but that's a pretty <laughs> big one if you tell me. Yeah, that's not a good look. You can't be doing that. Yeah, plus he's playing lackadaisical defense. He's, there's a pop fly uh, between second and right where he was just kind of not even really looking at it and caring, mm-hmm. and he crashed into Michael Conforto and literally concussed him. Conforto was on the ground, like, unconscious for, like, five seconds. Um, so that's Robinson Cano. That's the guy that they brought him to be their veteran second baseman. Uh, but one guy who's not playing for the Mets right now is Johannes Cespedes, supposed to be their slugger, supposed to be their star corner outfielder. Uh, and he had surgery on his on his uh, his heels not too long ago at the mm-hmm. end of the offseason. They said he might be back around the All-Star break. Uh, but what I find astounding is that rather than rehabbing his his feet and you know getting them rested, getting them healthy so he could play baseball, he's on his ranch, just kind of riding around on his horse, falls off the horse, lands in a ditch, shatters his ankle, and now he's out for the rest of the season. So you want to talk about dysfunction of an organization. I just wrote a whole article about this. It's called New York, New York, Concrete Jungle Where Sports Dreams Are Crushed because that's exactly what it is. Every team, with the exception of the Yankees right now, every team in New York City absolutely blows. And it's disgusting to see. Um, you know, that goes for the baseball. That goes for football. The Jets and the Giants are both horrific. It's, a, it's literally a laughing stuff what's going on in New York football right now. I mean, you got the the Giants who just drafted a guy that looks exactly like their new their old starting quarterback. And, you know, the guy that wasn't even projected to go top 10. Um, and then, you know, Jets, what's going on there? Yeah. Well, yeah, just like you said, Daniel Jones, he was – I didn't see that one coming. No. I guess I saw it coming from yeah. listening to PMT, but did not see it coming. The Jets, um, what the fuck? Is all I can say. <laughs> they finally have a good offseason where I say, wow, the team's looking pretty good. They On paper, they look pretty good. Um, you know, the, they finally seem to be rebuilding, and it looks like they have a good core. And then all of a sudden, after the draft, they decide now is the perfect time to get rid of our general manager. Not before the draft so we could strategize, but afterwards, um, after he's already done his whole picks and whatnot, because that makes total sense. And instead of getting a new GM, they just put Adam Gase, who was fired from Miami last season as the head coach. He is now the head coach and general manager of the New York Jets because what the fuck is going on there? 
he's not Bill. I, I can't. He's not Bill Belichick. You know, he doesn't have the clout necessary to be. I want to pick the team that I want, and we're going to run it the way that I want. He has won how many Super Bowls? Well, definitely none. Zero. A <laughs> big old goose egg. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what clout he's pulling there on one Jets drive, uh, but it's a laughing stock. It really is. It's embarrassing. And then when you go to basketball, we have the Knicks. They are not in the NBA playoffs. I think that's pretty clear. They finished 17 and 65 last season. And that's right, 65 losses in 82 games. That's almost impossible to do, but they did it. And they still couldn't land a number one pick in that draft. Nope. You know, we talked about it in the last podcast of how crazy the new lottery rules are. 14% for number one, 14% for no- It's It's just all equal odds for the most part of landing the pick. And so it was really worst case scenario for the Knicks. Yeah. Of Not only do you not get the number one pick that you were thinking of pivoting to trade to Anthony Davis, um, but the Pelicans now have the number one pick. And so they could really give a flying fuck about your number three pick. Exactly. There's really no point in tanking anymore in the NBA. Like, so many teams out there are really trying to do it. At least we're going into this year. And then I think a lot of teams are really biting themselves for doing that right now. I mean, you got the Suns who probably weren't even trying to tank but just suck. Yeah. (laughs) And same with the Bulls and the Cavs. But the Knicks, the Knicks were definitely trying to tank. Let me tell you that. You think so? Just a tad. I mean... Maybe trading away their franchise cornerstone to, you know, <laughs> bringing in who bunch of like Billy Garrett. Who the fuck is that? Yeah, like, that, that's Henry Ellickson the other day. Yeah. Um, but you know, the, the, actually, it just came out that Porzingis, uh, that snake in the grass, yeah, that's right, said that he would go back to Europe and play in Spain if he wasn't traded uh, from the Knicks. So he, for whatever reason, uh, twisted their arm pretty bad and kind of forced his way out. They got two first-round picks for it, which is not bad, and cleared up the cap space, I guess. But it made watching New York Knicks basketball pretty tough last season. You remember the game we went to. Yeah. Um, It was fun, (laughs) um, but they were terrible. Yeah, they were definitely terrible. But, um, you know, next season is looking bright. I mean, the only thing is, with the Knicks, you just got to stay hopeful every year come free agency that they're just not going to do something stupid. It's going to happen. But, (laughs) you know, at least this year – if we keep the third pick, which we probably should, but I mean, there's talks about the Anthony Davis trade, but they'd probably have to give up at least three first round picks, including the one they already have. Mm-hmm. Um, they'd have to give up Dennis Smith Jr., Mitchell or, Robinson. Yeah. So it, it's really, there's really no bright spot there. I mean, yeah, they'd land Anthony Davis, but they're not even a guarantee to keep him after his contract's up. And if they might not even land KD anymore because there's talks of him going to LA now. So. Yeah, you can see that in my new article, too, that I just mentioned previously. Um, the Knicks, who were seen as a quote-unquote lock to land Kevin Durant, now uh, may not even get him. That would just be the epitome of New York Knicks fandom for you right there. You think you're going to get a superstar. It's talked about. It's a sure thing. It's a shoe-in. And all of a sudden, he spurns you for the forgotten franchise of Los Angeles. No one cares about the Clippers. Yeah. Los Angeles is a Lakers town. And he goes to the Clippers? Yeah, I, I compare it to the Nets GM talking about how um, free agents should want to come to Brooklyn instead of New York. And it's like, come on, let, let's let's talk about the premier New York franchise first before we start talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Like, yeah, you got D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, you might have made the playoffs, but nobody fucking cares about the Nets. Let's be real. <laughs> it's all about the Knicks. Even when the Knicks sucks, they still sell out arenas. Like, they still are the number one most valuable team in the NBA. And they still... True. When the Knicks are good, 
are the most exciting team to watch in basketball. I mean, you could say the Warriors, you could say the Bucks. Uh, it really doesn't matter. When the New York market is hot and the Knicks are killing it, there's no bigger team talked about in the NBA. I mean, yeah. Pr- tell me I'm wrong. But no, it's true. I don't think and, so. <laughs> and, you know, I like the Brooklyn Nets yeah. specifically because they're in Brooklyn. But yeah. other than that, they are sure they made the playoffs this season. But other than that, they've kind of been a laughing stock in the league since they moved to Brooklyn. Yeah. I don't think anyone will ever forget that trade they made with the Celtics for mm-hmm. Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett. I think they netted out 20 first-round picks, pretty much. Let's call it 50. Yeah. They sold the farm for two <laughs> expiring veterans to make the postseason once and barely make it past the first round. I don't even think they got out of the first round. Um, so that's uh, it, it's. I guess that's also just the perfect way to sum up New York sports right now. Yep. The Nets are out of the playoffs. The Knicks are out of the playoffs. The game we went to was against the Raptors, who are in the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, right now in the Eastern Conference Finals, the series is tied 2-2 two to two with the Bucks and the Raptors. Uh, the Bucks took the first two games in Milwaukee, but then the Raptors came back from 2-0 to tie it uh, by taking both games in the six. And now we have game three, or excuse me, game three, game five in Milwaukee. And this is going to be a really deciding game for the two of these because after this they both know what who their opponent is and so i think both of these teams are looking towards the next round while still trying to you know play to their max to get out of this one but they both know they're going to face the warriors if they get out of here and that's going to be a tough one yeah and um, to be honest like even if the bucks make it out or the war or the raptors make it out it's just going to be really tough for them obviously to take on the warriors next i mean no shit but at the same time like can like Giannis can can Giannis take Draymond when he's hot? Like, can he take even KD and Draymond when he's hot? Like, that's the thing. Who knows if KD comes back or not? But at the same time, the way the Warriors have been playing even without KD makes you think that it really doesn't matter if he comes back or not because they're just on fire right now. So who really knows? But I I just think that the Bucs don't have enough firepower and, you know, Toronto – I don't think so either. So Yeah, and you know, D. Mills wrote a pretty great bullheaded debate yep. about this actually today about KD's rings. Uh, are they tarnished or not if they if the Warriors win again this year without him coming back? Um, the whole argument is around the fact that the Warriors, they won the championship in 2015. In 2016, they made it there after winning 73 games, lost the finals, but it was in seven games to uh, a really phenomenal effort by LeBron James. Yep. But then Kevin Durant comes in, and yes, he wins two finals and wins two final MVPs, which don't fall on anyone's laps. Um, he's one of seven players to ever win multiple finals MVPs. Um, but if they win again this year without him, the argument is that he was not a necessity to the Warriors, but he was more a luxury. And at that point, at that point, you could just argue anyone could join on the Warriors and win as long as you have Steph Curry in there. I almost said Seth. <laughs> and let me tell you, Seth would not be leading the Warriors to the finals. But Steph Curry, you know, there's a there's a crazy stat that the the Warriors are 30-1 in their last 31 games in which Kevin Durant was out but Steph Curry was in, which fuels the fire to the argument that the Warriors are Steph's team. When KD is not in there... This, the record is significantly worse. It's not a bad record, but it's much worse. But when Steph is in and, K- and he could take control of the game without Kevin Durant, they're on fire. They're With the, with one blemish, they're unbeatable. Yeah, and I mean with um, Clay Thompson being a free agent this year too, as well as KD, I think that's all that's needed to be said right there to the Warriors GM in terms of who deserves the max contract. I mean, while KD is the better of the two players, uh, it's really all about team basketball and for the Warriors – Signing uh, Kate, uh, Clay Thompson, who's a younger player, to a four-year max deal, 
might make more sense than giving it to KD, who already seems a little disgruntled there. Very so, disgruntled. Yeah, very. Uh, <laughs> little is uh, definitely putting it lightly. So we'll see what happens there, but I can definitely see them giving it to Clay. You feel is that argument fueled a little bit by the fact that you want KD in the Knicks? Partially, definitely, <laughs> very partially there. But at the same time, it's hard to imagine the Splash Brothers uh, leaving each other anytime soon. Yeah, it would be sad to see the Splash Brothers because they were the original, they were the original duo. <laughs> uh, Draymond was there too, but it was really Steph and Clay that was their show. Yeah, um, it would be probably wiser too from the the Golden State point of view to try and bring Clay back. Like you said, he's younger mm-hmm. uh, and fits the scheme of what Golden State does better, considering he's. A much stronger number two option to Steph than Kevin Durant is because yep. those two players are both guys who are number one options uh, on their teams. Uh, and Clay Thompson, he could be a number one somewhere, but he is a fantastic complement to Steph Curry because when Steph's off, uh, the Warriors still seem to win because Clay Thompson picks it up. Uh, he will have games where you remember the game he dropped sixty one, yeah, uh, went insane. But for Kevin Durant, he, he needs to be the guy, and on Golden State. That opportunity isn't quite there, especially for signing him to a max contract. Whereas on the Knicks, they are desperate. They need someone so badly that th- that offering him a max contract would be a no-brainer. Not to quote DJ Khaled, but it's a no-brainer. And then you got to think about the center position there, too. You got DeMarcus Cousins, who's been injured for most of these playoffs, if not all of them. And uh, he's going to be uh, going to free agency as well. But so is Kevin Looney who's been really stepping it up lately for the Warriors. Against the Blazers on Monday night, uh, he had 12 points and 14 rebounds. The other night, he had uh, 14 points. And then uh, against the Rockets, he had 14 as well. So he's the guy that's been really stepping it up for them. And uh, I think with him becoming a free agent, he might request a little bit more. But, um, you know, with him just stepping it up as of late, I feel like they could still bring him back on a fairly cheap deal, especially with the fact that they do have to re-sign Klay Thompson so I think Kevon Looney is definitely someone that they're going to be looking to back get back. And he's only 23. So he's a guy that's going to really grow uh, for years to come in a lineup of Steph, Clay, um, you know, who knows who they end up bringing at the small forward position, whether they move Draymond or, you know, they'll probably keep Draymond at the four, but Looney at the five, that's a pretty good team. Yeah. You know, Iguodala, he's probably, he should probably retire uh, after <laughs> next year, but. Yikes. That's yeah. a big claim. I mean, it really depends, but he's he's getting up there in age, and you know, with this next ship, he might as well just you know. Yeah, well, Kevon Looney is, I think, a very underrated player. Yeah. Uh, he's really grown into his own this year for Golden State, um, so he'd be someone that I, or someone I think that they should look at targeting to bring back. Otherwise, someone's going to pay a pretty penny for him because, like you said, he's only twenty three years old. He's yep. having double doubles <laughs> in the playoffs, um, and he doesn't have exactly the the greatest chance to flourish in Golden State, um, but somewhere else where someone will be willing to pay more for him and, and make him a little bit more of a centerpiece on that team, he could really start to, to shine in the NBA. But that actually ties in perfectly to what our bottom of the barrel is. This week we're going with the worst NBA free agent signings of all time. Hopefully that won't be Katie the Knicks coming up, yeah. but uh, there have been some notoriously bad signings, many of which occurred because of the Knicks, especially in the Isaiah Thomas era. But... In recent memory, especially in the 21st century, there's been some really horrific signings that just haven't panned out for teams. Uh, Thork, I'll let you start off. Who do you have as the third worst signing of all time? All right. So, you know, we came up with this uh, pretty recently. So fans, feel free to check in on Twitter and um, chirp us or come up with your own. But (laughs) I have my third worst as Luol Deng going to the Lakers on a four-year, $72 million deal. 
So uh, back uh, in 2016, the Lakers signed Dang to this contract, and uh, this guy could not have been worse for them. I mean, it's really unclear why they paid him so much money as they did, especially when you consider that they were eventually forced to put him on the bench for much of the last season when they were trying to tank. And they've reportedly spent the last few weeks trying to figure out a way to get him off their roster as soon as possible during the time <laughs> of when he was signed. So it's kind of crazy to think that you give a guy that much money who barely played at all for them and uh, didn't really have the numbers to pr- prove it before he got signed, which definitely ties into another guy that you have on your list. Yeah, my number three comes that exact same offseason with that exact same team, the 2016 <laughs> Lakers signed. Timothy Mozgov, of all people, to a four-year, $64 million deal. Now, I know that in, after that 2015 retirement tour for Kobe Bryant, his contract's off the books and whatnot, um, but the Lakers spent, like, absolute morons, to be totally frank. They they shut out $72 million to Luel Dank. They s- sent 64 mil to Timothy Mozgov, who, guess what he had with the Cleveland Cavaliers the year before? Six points per game and four rebounds per game. And you're paying that man... $16 million per year. And you know what happened when he signed with the Lakers? He played 54 games, one season, so that he could average 7.4 points per game and 4.9 rebounds per game. And you know what? That's actually an uptick from what his contract year was, but it's astonishing that they paid that much to even begin with because Mozgov has always been a role player in his career, and they paid him starter money. And um, the very next season, they knew what their mistake was and tried to trade him immediately. Got him over to the Nets just to clear some cap space in that D'Angelo Russell trade. Um, but that was just... I don't know what the, the Lakers were thinking on that one. Maybe it's not as bad as some of the Knicks thinkings because you have a couple of Knicks ones that uh, that might actually rank worse. Yeah, so as a big Knicks fan, uh, unfortunately by next two, happen to be the Knicks. But... <laughs> The first one's going to start with a not-so-bad one when you think about the numbers now, but at the time, it was just like, all right, what are they thinking? So back in the summer of 2006, the Knicks signed uh, Jerome James, a center, to a five-year, $30 million contract, which at the time was a good chunk of change. And as the season started, uh, James was penciled in to become the Knicks' starting center for the 25 25- 2005-06 season but to no one's amazement isaiah thomas threw a curveball and pursued uh chicago bulls build big man eddie curry uh who was also on my list but i'll go into that next but throughout uh james's first two years as a nick he appeared in 85 games and started in 20 of them and in curry's absence uh, from 2007 to 2009 james might as well have watched the games from the bar across the street i mean this guy was terrible <laughs> Following knee surgery in 2007, James was healthy enough to participate in two games for the remainder of the wow. season. So, yeah, this guy was absolute trash. Um, <laughs> he pretty much just sat in New York, made $30 million, and said, all right, I'm peacing after this. For two games. Yeah. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, that when you think about the, the length of the time that he spent playing for the team and the time that he actually spent on the court, and then you look at the money he made, $30 million for just doing that. I mean, that, that's downright awful. I mean, it, it's pretty brutal, but let's hear your number two. Yeah. Well, I, even to that point, I just want to make it before I go into number two because you brought up a great point. He played two games uh, in that season. If he's making six mil a season at, at $30 million over five years, 
he this is obviously not how paychecks work, but he made three million dollars for each of those two games that he played. <laughs> now, if you could sign wow. me up to do that yeah. in any career, that'd be phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that actually doesn't even really compare to this next one. I have a number two. I have <coughs> in that same off season, the 2016, as the Mozgov and Luol Deng deals. Uh, this was really the season of horrible contracts that were dealt out, uh, just because the cap went up. Uh, but the Memphis Grizzlies took in former Dallas Maverick Chandler Parsons to a four-year, $94 million deal worth $23.5 million per year. Um, and Chandler Parsons beforehand, I don't know how many of you have kept up with what his career is like. I wouldn't blame you if you haven't really done it much because he has been absolute booty for his career after he left Dallas. With Dallas, he was a decent player, slightly above average with his uh, efficiency rating. He averaged 13.7 points per game, just under five rebounds and under three assists. So for a swingman kind of forward position, that's not bad, but you're paying him a max deal. And guess what he did with the Grizzlies? <laughs> not even close. He regressed significantly. He averaged 7.1 points per game, two and a half rebounds a game and, and under two assists per game in 95 games over three years. And that's an 82 game season every single year. So he could have played over 240 games and he played 95 and made 23 and a half million dollars every single one of those years. Yeah. And to go off Chaz's point, Parsons, a player that I have on, I had on my uh, Grizzlies flip this franchise team he was one of the first three players that I was looking to dump. Yeah, and guess out. which team picked them up? The Mavs. The Knicks. The Knicks. The Knicks of all teams. Oh, and guess who they gave so up? Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson. Robinson. I mean, in that at that time, it's like 2K. Like, is the trade machine <laughs> that messed up? Or am I just like getting a deal here? Because I was giving up a player who had, like you said, a $72 million contract for a player that had a $2 million contract, if that. I don't even know if he <laughs> yeah. was making um, that. He was probably making the minimum. And he had a couple of years left on his deal being a second-round pick of this past year with loads of potential. So it's hard to imagine getting a deal that fat. And But the Knicks, let me tell you, that, that <laughs> signing of Jerome James, you thought that was bad? Oh, no. It got a lot worse <laughs> when they signed Eddie Curry to a six-year, $60 million deal in 2007. So, yeah, still looking to fill the void at center after, uh, you know, Jerome James couldn't get it done for them. The Knicks gambled on that risk and signed Curry to that deal. And then his inaugural season in the Big Apple was pretty bland. So just when you thought the signing of Curry actually was paying off for the Knicks with him averaging 19.5 points a game and seven rebounds a game, uh, the big man uh, eventually had a couple string of injuries and problems would eventually derail his career. So the night before training camp in 2007, Curry was hospitalized with an undisclosed inf inf uh, illness and his fall from grace really began. From that point on, Curry was never able to regain his conditioning and just played 26 minutes a night, a nine-minute drop-off from the previous season. And then although Curry would not conform to Mike D'Antoni's play style, the coach was always willing to give the center a chance, but a torn calf muscle at the oh opening God. of the 2008-09 season and a strained hamstring <laughs> suffered during the 2009 <laughs> season uh, really just never got him back into shape. Uh, Curry ballooned to as much as 350 pounds, uh, the size of defensive linemen, oh and only set foot on the court 10 occasions between 2008 and 2010. Clearly out of the loop at the inception of the 2010-11 season, uh, Curry was Jerome James reincarnated. 
and there you have it. And then when the Knicks acquired Carmelo Anthony in 2011, Eddie Curry and his expiring contract were sent to the Timberwolves as a byproduct of the trade. Uh, Minnesota were able to buy him out, but six years and $45 million later, yet another successor to Patrick Ewing had failed to live up to expectations. So maybe that guy can be Mitchell Robinson for the Knicks. We'll see. Maybe it will be someone else. Maybe DeAndre Jordan will come back next year. Which would be great. But I would love to see Mitchell Robinson starting that center for the Knicks next year. Yeah, especially because uh, this is a recurring theme. <coughs> Big men, specifically centers of the Knicks, both men are number ones. Mine was a little bit more in recent memory with the Phil Jackson regime because I don't know what the hell that was. Thank God it's over. Um, but it didn't go without any damage or collateral damage at all because they signed Joakim Noah from the Chicago Bulls to a four-year and $72 million deal that un- unanimously takes my number one bottom of the barrel. It has fucked up the whole Knicks future plan for the next few years because they had to stretch out his contract because he wouldn't play. He couldn't play. When he did play, he was ass. And here's 53 games he played in two seasons out of 164 potential games. And in those games, he averaged less than five points a game and less than eight rebounds a game. All that massive production for $18 million a year. So I don't know if you could talk about a worse signing that anyone could ever have other than a guy who refuses to play basketball comes up and you buy him out or you stretch his contract that screws up your future cap space. And all of a sudden, he joins the Memphis Grizzlies, not to your flip this franchise Grizzlies, but right. he joins the Memphis Grizzlies and starts playing like uh, the guy who was back with the Florida Gators. Like, he started turning it on. It was just absolute bullshit. It was terrible. So that's – whoa, and you can even tell how heated I'm getting. It's, <laughs> that's just the epitome of what the Knicks do. They sign these guys to horrible contracts, and they end up regretting it immediately. That happened with uh, Jerome James. That happened with Eddie Curry. And that happened with Joakim Noah. Yeah, I mean, there's really a trend of uh, abysmal contracts given to centers in New York, and let's just hope it can't continue because this is something that's really becoming a problem for the Knicks. And let's not forget when Joakim Noah said he was too lit to play in New York City. <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous. Yeah. The guy literally is from New York. My brother met him at a bar, Yeah, uh, and it was cool because Noah's French, my brothers have French, and yeah. so they spoke, they spoke French together, and it was like apparently like a cool, he seemed like a cool guy. Um, but you would think that someone who's from New York and was like so pumped up to be in New York City and was like um, called himself like a street rat and was playing like park ball with like all these people, like lived for New York and was too lit to play in New York City. Like get too the lit. fuck out of here with that. Are you kidding me? You know, Lavo and uh, Marquis and those clubs must have gotten the best of him. I guess so. Guy literally couldn't handle it. Lifestyle too big for him. <laughs> <laughs> Just like uh, Porzingis. I mean. Who knows what he was doing? People talk about him being with Jen Selter, the Instagram model. Yeah. You know, he's uh, recently uh, <laughs> got caught on video pushing a girl outside a bar in Latvia. Yeah, I mean, this was after he got <laughs> thrown a, a beer bottle at in the face by a, a group of Knicks fans that were pissed off that he got traded and wanted out. So you know, the Knicks fans—they're toughest in basketball, and they'll let you hear it too. Yeah, no kidding. That's the New York grit for you. That's that New York grit. Um, but apparently Porzingis, no matter where he goes, he can't handle the nightlife. New York, can't take it. Latvia, back home, can't take it. Gets in bar fights and gets his hand all bloodied up. I'm curious to see what happens in Dallas, too. I don't think the nightlife is nearly as, as lit in Dallas, but I don't know what the hell goes down down in there in Texas. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it gets a little crazy, too, because I hear Houston is wild. 
Yeah. Uh, so Dallas might be a little more tame, but he still can't take it. Yeah. Get out of here. Get out of town, <laughs> please. Well, while he gets out of town, I guess we'll uh, we'll get out of this pod. Maybe do a little Memphis Grips with that franchise. You actually got your your blog out for the most for the most recent uh, sim of the season. They're looking pretty good at the trade yeah. deadline of the 2019-20 year. You did a good job flipping them over. Yeah, I mean, uh, some unexpected stuff will be happening. Unfortunately, like let's uh, I'll let you find out. But um, you know, all is well in Memphis. Uh, except for a few things but you know the re- rest of the season could be looking bright too we'll see what happens i'll just let you have to find out for that yeah that's coming up so be sure to tune into that but in the meantime we'll uh do a couple more sims and see what we got so guys thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of last second covers if you like what we've got please go to the app store and the google play store and everywhere you can find this podcast and give us a, a nice review and some comments and let us know what you think every comment that you give we look into and we try to make it so that we have a better podcast for you guys every week and you never know something that you pitch may actually become a, a new segment on this podcast but until then guys love and appreciate the support we'll talk to you next week peace see ya